Tag Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Welcome to Extension Horses Tech Box Talk Series, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University. And today we have a returning guest, so Dr. Carrie Williams with Rutger University. So welcome back, Carrie. Hello, everybody. And we have a new guest joining us for the first time, Dr. Amy Burke from the University of Maryland. Welcome, Amy. Hello, and hello to all the listeners out there. So we got to get to know you a little bit here, Amy, as a first time guest, who are your horses that you have? Because we like to hear all of the disastrous things that happen to our horses. So who do you own? <laughs> well, I, I try to, um, not, uh, blow all my money on horses. So actually I'm leasing a horse right now, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, you know, I had a, a daughter who was riding a horse. Uh, she was leasing a nice warm blood mare. And then my daughter, although she liked horses, she loves volleyball and up and switched to volleyball. So I said, I will take over your horse uh, lease. So um, yeah, I've been doing a little dressage schooling shows and just really enjoying riding again now that I'm a little bit older and I, I get to spend my hard earned money on myself. So oh, that's awesome. That. Well done. Well done. And you haven't uh, permanently injured your horse yet? No, <laughs> no. I feel like when I own them, I, I do that. So if I lease them, there's some sort of good karma there. <laughs> gotcha. You might need to talk to Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So enough chit chat. I think um, everyone, this is a really uh, exciting topic. We're going to be talking about fecal water syndrome. And this is something that I think a lot of owners ask about. And I tend to, to hear it about, hear about it a lot, or, or maybe we're talking about different things, but Essentially, these are horses that have pretty good bouts of diarrhea, like liquidy diarrhea that seems to be pretty hard to resolve. So who wants to give a better explanation <laughs> than that um, to get us started? Um, yeah, actually, uh, I can start. Um, and, and, and not to say um, you're wrong, Chris, but it is a little different than diarrhea, to tell you the truth. Um, the, even though a lot of people do think it is a function or, or very similar to diarrhea, the difference is with the fecal water syndrome is that they can also they can have formed fecal balls. So it can actually be a, a formed feces that comes out it's just either sometime either before, during, or after the, the feces, there's a bunch of water. And, and it's, it's, it's not even diarrhea, it's just fecal water. It's just brown, nasty water that comes out with it. And I, so I think the biggest thing is that it's, there's formed feces with it, where we usually with diarrhea, you have just liquid uh, feces in general, all of it's liquid and there's nothing formed. Um, so, so that I think is the big thing. And, and a lot of vets, um, they might treat it the same way as diarrhea, um, but a lot of times that, that doesn't always work. And I know we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be uh, a little bit different than those horses that it's almost seems like they have the irritable bowel syndrome or that chronic, um, just consistent liquid feces then. So these horses should have normal fecal balls as well as extra liquid. 
Yeah, and I think that's the challenge here is when you see it, it's all this brown fluid on the back of your horse's rump, yet they're having bowel movements normally. I mean, their feces are well-formed. And that's the biggest problem is like, you now have to clean up the, this fecal water every day. And sometimes it can cause scalding. For show horses, it's just a disaster. And winter, you've got this clump, you know, fecal water dried on your horse and you don't have hot water sometimes. So that's a big problem. And in the summer also it can attract flies. So um, when you do start working with your vet to try to fix this, uh, they have to differentiate between diarrhea caused by other things. So they got to rule out gastric ulcers or rule out inflammatory bowel. And so they do have this whole list of things they have to rule out, but it seems like this new free fecal water syndrome, you know, just kind of reared its ugly head. I'd say, I don't know, Kara, what do you think? Last 10, 15 years, probably. Yeah, I want to say as, as a nutritionist, the last several years, especially maybe five years or so, I've been getting so many questions on it. Uh, it, it just and, and that's why, you know, I thought this might be a great podcast because I feel like every barn has at least one with it. Um, I, I know personally, my older horse, some of you might remember some uh, Mickey podcasts. Um, well, Mickey has it. She's had it um, usually in the winter, like kind of the transition season, I would say from fall to winter where the grass is starting to go away and they're transitioning uh, off of the pasture and onto hay. Um, in the last several years, she has had it right about this time of year. So this time, uh, you know, I don't know when you're, when everybody's listening, but right now it's early December. Um, so it, it's usually been about that time of year. There's also been another horse at my barn um, he's a younger guy, but he kind of has it on and off and it seems to be a big roller coaster all year long. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it does seem to be increasing, um, over the years and, uh, I've been getting a lot of questions, man. Right, so many questions now. So I'm just going to pick them as we go. So in, in your case with Mickey, um, it seemed to be a, like a transition from the physical form from a softer grass to dried forage. So is that part of it? Like an irritation, almost like scraping of the cecum and colon. Is this actually irritating them further up the tract? Where are we at? Well, I, I can say that seems to be the one consistent thing with Mickey and, and her problem. Um, but I also will say it only just started happening as she's gotten older. She's, you know, turning 24 January one. And I want to say probably the last two or three years. So is it the fact that her, her digestive system isn't working like it used to, um, are the, the gut microbes and the hindgut not functioning like they used to. And is that transition between the softer grasses? and the, the more structural haze uh, starting to be a problem for her. Right. I had a similar situation where we had a 15-year-old draft cross horse donated to the University of Maryland, and he went from a pasture situation to our campus, which is only dry lot, so we have to feed hay, and we feed our big draft horses that don't need a good quality hay, you know, like a regular old average moderate quality hay. So it's pretty, I would say, scratchy, if you want to call it that. I mean, it's still leafy, but... Um, and he developed fecal, free fecal water syndrome. And that was like 2014 or something. It was a long time ago. I had never had any experience with it. So I didn't realize it was probably that change in diet. But more recently, I've had a, an 18 year old thoroughbred at a barn where I um, stabled and he also got it 
he was coming out of, um, or, you know, winter was coming, pasture was limited and had to go on a hay diet. And it was more of a, you know, course Timothy and the owner found great success switching to a really leafy, soft orchard grass. I don't know. It's, you know, really Timothy Virgin's orchard grass, but it was the um, more mature hay, the stemmier hay to the really soft leafy hay that helped him out. So she's continued to maintain him on that during the winter. Now it's been years and it, he does really well. So I think that is, I don't think we know exactly why this is happening, but I definitely think diet um, has a, has a role in this and, that, and age maybe has a role. I'm not so sure breed because we're, you know, Mickey's a thoroughbred. Um, our horse is a draft horse. The research has uh, shown paint horses, uh, cord horses, warm bloods, they all get it. So it's really not breed specific. Yeah. And I don't really even know that it's age specific too. I keep wanting to say that. Cause yeah, a lot of the horses I consult with and for and, and Mickey are older. Um, but the one horse at, at my farm that has it, he's six years old. Um, mm. I just recently got another uh, email from someone who has a, a 14 year old. So, you know, I don't even know that it's age thing anymore. Um, you know, I used to think it was just older, but, but I don't think so anymore, but I, I do agree. It all seems it always, and, and, I would say probably ninety percent of the cases I've seen it. It does seem to lead back to the forage, um, whether it's a change in forage or the, the seasonal change in forage or what it is. It does seem to relate back to that somewhat. Um, so I know what's helped Mickey. Um, they do have several different sources of hay that they could feed. Normally they don't. They just all switch over to one. But, you know, some horses are on a little bit of alfalfa and some have a little bit better hay. So what I, uh, there were several things that we tried to do with her. And one was just to give them multiple sources of forage. So, you know, one was let, let's try doing, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of the grass hay, a little bit of the alfalfa hay, a little bit of the, the other nicer hay, um, just to give their gut a little bit more diversity uh, in the fiber. Also, what I've had others had have success with are, um, you know, even some chopped hays or some pelleted hays uh, or, or even some beet pulp. And all of those are good fiber sources. So it gives the hindgut and the microbes in the hindgut a nice, diverse environment um, that they can um, they can manage a little bit a little bit better. And, and that's what seemed to have have really helped Mickey is just giving her that diversity um, in, in the gut. So when you talk about diversity from your forage, I assume that, that the supposition then is that could lead to, and honestly, we're so uh, naive about what actually is happening in the horse's gut at this point in time yeah. with our, our new tools and how to look at the microbiome, but conceivably, right, that an, an enhanced microbial diversity is beneficial, but we, has anybody done that work to look at the microbiome of these guys? Um, I think what's been really focused on is the fecal trans microbiome transport. And Carrie, you can, you were about to say something, so please jump in, but um, there is some evidence, early evidence. I mean, it's still, I would say preliminary where they've taken uh, fecal samples from a healthy horse and added water to it, you know, um, and basically reconstituted in feed and then put it in through a nasogastric tube into the horse's stomach and transplanted that microbiome from the healthy horse into the horse with uh, fecal water syndrome. And they have seen some improvement, you know, like a reduced incidence of the problem for the first couple of weeks. Uh, they don't really have long-term data, but that's 
that is, that kind of tells me there's some indication that it's a could be a microbiome at play here that needs to be looked into a little bit more. So the other thing for me too is that why isn't why is the water not being resorbed? So there are some theories that it's the mobility and you know Yeah, I had a question about that. It, and that's I guess my question is it the lack of resorption or is this a secretion into behind it? <laughs> That, that I know we could really get into mechanisms and bore the listeners, but it's yep. true. Why is the water coming out the back end? Why isn't being resorbed? It's, you know, it's supposed to be resorbed back there in the hindgut and the large intestine. So we, there are some theories that the diet is moving things through faster and the water is just coming out the back end and there's not enough time for resorption. There's some theories that whatever the mechanisms are for resorption are compromised in some way, you know, so we're, we haven't quite figured it out. So I, I think there's probably from what I could see, maybe two handfuls of research studies on this, yeah. um, you know, so not very much has been done. Right. And to me that I'll, I'll be honest, that doesn't make as much sense to me because if it wasn't being resorbed, why are we not having diarrhea and why would we have formed fecal balls with a separate water fraction? Yeah, that's a great, great question. You're supposed yeah. to I, 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 <laughs> Um, and, and I will say, and I, and I started reading it and I apologize to all the listeners, you know, maybe soon we'll have an update, but um, there is a, a dissertation that I found out of Sweden. Um, it is a, a really nice hundred uh, plus page, <laughs> um, really technical document um, from a, a PhD student that was solely focused on fecal water syndrome, um, you know, causes, prevalence, frequency, uh, treatments, et cetera. Um, and, and I got the cliff notes version, but I haven't dove into all the science yet, but really that's been the most com- complete, uh, thing that I've seen on, on the subject. And that was published in 2021. So just this year. Yeah. The first sort of literature that I could find was in, uh, 2013, 2014. So this is relatively new and we're still sort of scratching our heads about it. I wish we could get our American scientists to take a look at it a little bit more. Cause most of what I've seen has come out of Europe. But uh, yeah, something we need to really focus on, I think. Well, the good thing, though, to kind of take it back, the good thing is these horses are relatively healthy. They've got this kind of nasty rear end issue, but they're healthy. They're not like overly dehydrated. Their performance isn't affected that that the, you know, anecdotally or the research shows. So that's good. It's just unsightly and it's it's a pain in the rear end, you know? Yeah, yeah, but I assume for some people, like if the boarding stable is like, oh, no, we're not cleaning that up, like then you're not allowed to keep your horse there. Like, I think that could actually be some problems. Oh, yeah, it must be a mess on blankets. Yeah. Yeah. Going Uh-oh. into a show situation, not nice to have happen in front of the judge, you know, the usual. Yeah, I will say, uh, you know, from the and the kind of a horse owner standpoint, because uh, Mickey is being leased, so I, I don't have a whole lot of interaction with her, but. Um, the leasee had, uh, was going away for a week and she asked me if I wanted to ride. Um, it's, it's my girl. Uh, so yes, I went to ride, but she did warn me that I would probably need to end up cleaning off her bum, um, before, and maybe even after I rode. And yeah, it was, the blanket was nasty. Everything was nasty. Granted the barn owner was also cleaning it up in the interim, 
But, um, but yeah, you're right. If the barn owners don't want to do it, it falls on the owner. Um, and then if they're not there every day, it, it can be a health problem just in terms of the skin. Like Amy said, it can scald. A lot of times what they do is um, can put some either baby oil or Vaseline or something on the, the hind end of the horse to keep it from scalding um, as well. So it, it can be a mess. And um, even a tail bag, because those tails really get gross. Not a, not a pretty thing to have happen. Yeah. So I'm going to let you guys put all your speculation hats on here, because uh, <laughs> clearly we don't have a lot of research to go back on, but hey, we're all scientists here. If this is something recent, and, and you know, certainly I was never taught this as, a, as an undergrad or had this come up. So if this is a recent thing, one would have to think, environment, right? Um, unless all of a sudden we're breeding different horses or we've imported different microbiome. Well, I mean, there's gotta be some sort of link, right? So wild speculation time. <laughs> it, it, this does bring up a good, a good point. Um, cause some of the other things I have read on this topic also talk about stress, anxiety, changes in routine, horses daily schedule, that sort of thing as well. Um, because like you mentioned, yeah, it can be dietary, it could be microbiome, but you know, there is a lot of link between stress and anxiety and the microbiome as well, not even just in, in animals, but in humans as well. I mean, there's a huge link there. So, and while I can see that being for some horses and maybe the case for some, you can also see it maybe not being quite the case for others. Um, I know the one horse at my barn, um, you know, he's young, uh, he's an event horse, but he travels to Florida every winter. He, uh, you know, he's turned out by himself, but he goes down to Florida. He gets a total change in feed, um, you know, and then he comes back up. So, I mean, his, his fecal water syndrome has been a huge roller coaster. It's not in change of season. It just, it comes on and it goes away and it comes on and it goes away. And every time it comes on, they throw the kitchen sink at him and try to do everything they can to change it. And then it might go away, but then it comes back. So, um, you know, I do think, and you know, he doesn't seem like a stressed horse, but you know, some horses internalize stress. So maybe it is more stress related with him, um, than maybe seasonal or forage related with Mickey. Yeah. I, I would love to have that answer, Chris, because I often wonder the same thing for the instance of gastric ulcers. Like, what are we doing management wise? How are we manipulating the environment to stress these horses out or cause an, in, an increase, excuse me, an increase in these conditions for, you know, in our case, the horse that we had income to our program. I mean, I wouldn't say our campus farm is extremely stressful, but it is in the middle of campus with buses going by and street sweepers and lots of students coming in and out. So I can see stress playing a role for that particular horse. Um, but, you know, we're going to have to really take a look at our environmental, our, our management really of our horses and see what is it. I, I often wonder if we're not stalling them too much, um, not letting them have. So one of the more interesting things recently is that I've been looking into is how many horses do you need a horse to be around to feel like it's in a herd to feel safe? Um, and that's something that we've kind of looked at as far as improving welfare situations. We only have six horses at our campus farm, but I noticed that we had a thoroughbred who was very stressed out until all the horses returned after our break. And when we got to that number of six, she kind of just like took a breath and relaxed. Mm. And I, I wonder how we're manipulating their environment that is, you know, creating to increases in stress like that. I mean, do you think we've done anything 
substantially different in the last 15 years or so from what previously occurred? That I think that's a good question because I don't feel like we have. I mean, I feel like always and 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 I have read some things that go along with what Amy is saying with, you know, in the winter, a lot of horses are confined more um, or put on stress lots more where they used to be out on pastures, maybe overnight from like 4 p.m. to 8 a.m. But now they're they're in these little dry lots or their individual turnout. I know that the, the guy at my farm, he's always alone. Um, you know, Mickey only has one other horse. So, but I don't know that it's changed over the last 15 years. So that's the good question is what's changed. And I don't know that anything has, um, I don't know that that's a good question. Wish I had that answer. Have they looked at any, and I know, um, I probably should have been a better, uh, podcast author here and, uh, read some of the literature too, and tried to dig it up. But have they done anything with like, um, intestinal inflammatory markers to look at what is, um, happening at the gut level. Are they there yet? I don't think they're there yet, or at least I haven't, uh, Dr. Burke, have yeah. you seen anything? I've not come across that. Certainly the, the, there is a theory about having inflammation in the hindgut. I did speak to a horse owner who tried to put her horse on Equiox to reduce inflammation in the gut potentially. And that didn't help. Uh, certainly there's been a look at parasites, which maybe could cause some inflammation and deworming your horse doesn't seem to help. You know, there's a lot of things that I've read that haven't helped. Um, cause you know, we kind of throw the kitchen sink at them, but no, I, I still think we need to look at that inflammatory, uh, theory because <clears throat> that very well could be part of that lack of resorption. Mm-hmm. But like you said, if we didn't have a lack of resorption, <clears throat> why wouldn't that mix into the feces and just cause right. diarrhea? Why the separation? That seems like almost a a motility or an event that's occurring. So, Mm -hmm. hmm, now I'm pondering. And I still like, (laughs) well, this is good. It's pondering time. And and that change within a certain number of years, to me, just strikes me as environment. What is different that didn't used to be? Yeah. And that is, that is, I think the big question. Um, but the other interesting point, Amy, that you brought up is, is what, what works and what doesn't work. And, and like I said, with throwing the kitchen sink at them, I mean, I kind of joke around, but kind of don't because, um, I, I know one thing that seemed to work or at least start working for Mickey was, and, you know, Hey, let me do this clause first as an extension specialist, we're not supposed to give product recommendations. So, um, I'm going to throw that out the window and and start talking to you more from a horse owner standpoint than my extension specialist standpoint. Um, because here are some products, um, succeed, um, really seemed to start uh, and Mickey's fecal water started to go away when we put her on a, a routine uh, of succeed. Um, the other thing that worked for this other horse at my barn, and actually we, we've also put Mickey on this and it seems to have done the trick along with succeed is biosponge. Um, I know Amy, you're the one who actually gave me that recommendation. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but that really seemed to help both of the horses. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose we probably should talk about how to address this instead of trying to guess what's happening. So yeah, let's talk about what should people be doing that's work. So Amy, you've had some other ideas, I think as well. Yeah. I mean, when we had that draft cross a long, long time ago, and we had no idea what we were dealing with. A veterinarian recommended a product called BioSponge. It's put out by Platinum Performance. I went to the website today just to see if they promoted it for use in fecal water syndrome and they don't, but it is a clay product that basically binds the digestive contents. 
And we use it a lot for diarrhea and falls, post falling and uh, <clears throat> like early on after falling. And, uh, and then we use it on this particular horse and he did really well. So at the time it was just offered as a paste and you give it twice a day. It's a little bit messy. Again, I am not sponsored by that product or the company, by the way. Um, but it's not something like, it's one of those things where you're like, well, I don't know what else to try. Let me try this product. I wouldn't, you know, I don't know if it works for every horse. Um, but that's one thing. And then the other thing was that that change of diet to the, if you, you know, if you're coming into winter and you don't have a, a pasture available, that really soft, leafy, really immature type, good quality hay was what helped the other horse. And that's the only two really, you know, anecdotal stories that I have. Um, for what works, there there was another product mentioned on YouTube. I dare I say it, <laughs> but um, it was called a Sure Guard Gold that does uh, promote itself as helping with fecal water syndrome. So I have no experience with that product though. So physical form, if you're looking for um, a little bit finer, softer textured grass haze, does a horse that's on a complete pelleted uh, processed forage diet still exhibit this? I have seen that. Yeah. Um, just because they, there's no, I mean, what you're trying to do is, is make a variety of not just the, the type of carbohydrates, but also the physical form of the carbohydrate. Um, and here I go, I got to give a shout out to uh, a colleague of ours, Dr. Bert Stanier at Penn State. Um, he is doing a lot of work and his current research is all on uh, physically effective fiber and, and how different fiber sources and fiber types help the, help the hind gut of the horse. Um, so, you know, his big thing that is kind of what I alluded to with Mickey is to try a bunch of these different fiber sources, not just pellets and not just long stem hay, but try some that's chopped, some pelleted, some long stemmed, even oats, whole oats. They're, the oat hulls are very fibrous um, and they actually are a whole nother form. And then I mentioned beet pulp. Beet pulp is a rapidly fermentable fiber. So, you know, the, the more variety you can get seem to really help a lot of the horses that I've consulted for. Um, I always ask my clients, I'm like, let me know if this works. <laughs> um, so, so a lot of them have said that, um, that just switching it up or, or changing the forage um, types has, has really helped them. Have they done anything with like retrospective was there an event in the horse's life that could have caused a big shift in the microbiome? So sort of this gut dysbiosis that could have created this event beginning? I feel like that's where it's different for every, every horse I've consulted out there. Cause I, I usually try to, you know, through either several emails or talking to the person, you know, really just kind of get to the bottom of the horse's environment. And, and is there anything that's happened? Um, and like I said, the thing that I can kind of pinpoint with the two that I have the most experience with both Mickey and, and then the horse at my barn was, you know, with Mickey, the change from coming off of grass to the hay. And that, that seemed to be the, you know, the number one thing there and most reoccurring thing. Um, but then the horse at my barn, it just seemed to be a change in general. Like, was it a change in hay necessarily? Maybe. Um, but just a change in anything in his environment. He seems to be more sensitive to uh, sort of any environmental changes. Um, and, and it maybe ha just has a more sensitive hindgut. Amy, thoughts? Anything on that that you might have experience with? 
No, I mean, I was just thinking back to the literature and we're just starting to scratch the surface. I'm trying to figure this out. I think these are kind of a, um, a great idea for us as scientists to start looking into in, in the United States in particular. I'm not sure that this, this is like increasing in incidence. It's becoming a bigger problem. I just think we're like noticing it more kind of like when Lyme disease sort of like there's always that, Oh, my horse has Lyme. So does yours. And we all sort of raise the level of awareness and then you get more content on the internet. But um, I think we do need to look into this. Um, I think from a research standpoint right now, they're just sort of taking small sample sizes of horses with the condition and comparing it to paired controls at the farms. And we're just not quite as knowledgeable, I think, as we want to be yet. So I, I really don't know. I mean, other than what we've, we've said, I, I don't know that we can pinpoint um, specifics with these horses, like whether it's a trailering event versus, you know, a number of horses they're housed with or the social stress. Um, so there's just a lot to know or figure out still. That is a, a good point. And there's one other thing. It's actually funny. We haven't brought this up yet because we keep talking about microbiome, microbiome, um, probiotics. To tell oh, you the yeah. truth, I've never seen it work. Uh, I've, every person that I've, I've heard, consulted, tried, said that is usually the first thing they try are probiotics. Um, and they've, they've never worked. And I've actually done a lot of reading too on this and, uh, seen online that, yeah, they don't usually recommend probiotics because they don't usually work. Um, however, I will say, you know, there are, are some probiotics and some of the succeed, um, products that I was talking about that have seemed to work with Mickey, but, um, it's, it also has a lot of other products in it. So, uh, you know, so maybe that's, that's why it's maybe not the probiotics itself, but it might be something else. Um, I, I've never really, well, Carrie and I get to, to go out to meetings and meet with colleagues who do research on probiotics. And we've, uh, we've never seen any positive things that come out of use with probiotics. I mean, it's great for other species. It reduces diarrhea and, you know, swine and piglets, but for horses, it just doesn't seem to do very much. Um, so it's really probiotics are one of the last things I would try just like, ugh, you know, I'm scratching my head. Sure. I'll try probiotics, but I would I just don't think it, it just doesn't work in the horse, unfortunately. And I, I suppose, you know, a little physiology breakdown for everybody to remember how complex the horse's hindgut is and what species exist in the horse's hindgut may not ever be something that could be cultured and kept in a live form and fed at the front end, right? So even when we do a fecal sample, that doesn't give us a full picture of what exists throughout the horse's digestive tract. Yeah. Is that yeah. too much science? Should we pull that back from the edge? <laughs> It's good to know. I think people need to know well, these things. Absolutely. I, no, I agree. I, I agree. Cause uh, you know, some listeners out there might be, uh, you know, on the science end of things and be like, well, you know, what about that aspect? But I mean, no. I, I agree with Amy. We just, we don't know enough about this. And um, you know, I, I, I can't wait till a, a day where I have plenty of time to read that hundred plus page dissertation. And um, you know, maybe that did have more answers in it. <laughs> Hopefully it's not in Swedish. So that would slow you down a bit. It looked like it was a little of both. <laughs> <laughs> that could definitely slow you down. If every other word is Swedish. <laughs> so any other big advice for, for horse owners? This has got to be like really 
a pain if you can't figure out what you can do and just kind of throw some different things and see what hopefully no longer sticks to the wall. Right. Ha ha. (laughs) The first thing I'd say is just talk to your veterinarian. Um, If you have your veterinarian on your team, I think it's easier than to make dietary changes with at a boarding farm. You know, sometimes it's tough for in a boarding farm situation to change to a different type of hay or change to a different type of management system for your horse. But having a veterinarian to kind of guide you along to help you with those changes is I think a good thing. And they also, you know, get out and talk to their colleagues who also see cases. So they may have new things that you can try that even us with our deep um, digging into all of the research couldn't find today. So talk to your vet. Yeah. And if, if someone is going to, you know, start doing some things on their own, you know, I, I wouldn't, and you know, yes, I've said multiple times, throw the kitchens and get them, but do things one at a time. Um, Cause I feel like that way you really know what might've worked. So if you have to do it again, um, you're a little more educated. Um, you know, it, it was hard in my situation because I, it, I wasn't the direct caregiver of the horse. So, you know, they just started doing things and they're like, what else should we try? Um, so, uh, so we never really know when it worked. It just all of a sudden went away. And who knows it could have went away on its own then too. (laughs) Exactly. Well, this has been mostly a perplexing then podcast. So (laughs) yeah, we have a, uh, a disease that is maybe a little bit more novel. Although, you know, one of the things I was thinking about that you guys sort of alluded to, maybe this isn't increasing in frequency and maybe it's just social media and our access to each other that has led to a supposed increase in frequency just since we have the ability to hear about things more often. That would be my guess. And certainly there are no studies that I know of that really have quantify the incidence of it. So I just think we're more aware of it because we can talk so much faster and so much easier these days with the uh, social media platforms that we have. So maybe not a diabolical plot that everybody can read too much into and just the fact that we're all on the devices 24 seven. Yep. And I just want to say if you're, if you're a listener and your horse has this, I feel your pain where <laughs> you're not alone. Hopefully you guys can get it cleared up in your horse and not have to deal with that on a daily basis. It's just I kind of feel like you would be like the pariah at the barn though. Like, Ooh, I don't want to be around the poopy horse girl. (laughs) (laughs) True. Maybe. Yeah. You'd have a scarlet letter P on your chest or F for fecal water. I'm not sure FW, but yeah, you wouldn't want to be known as the girl with the horse with the, you know, dirty butt all the time. Not cool. Well, what are we missing, guys? Anything else on this uh, fecal water syndrome that we really want to make sure are kind of take homes for our audience? I think we covered an awful lot. Um, you know, I, I hate to, to say that we covered an awful lot of what we don't really know a lot about, um, but we really kind of did. Um, but, I, you know, I, I agree with Amy's kind of last sentiments, you know, start working with your veterinarian and then reach out to a nutritionist. Um, you know, there are a lot of extension specialists out there like ourselves, which can help out. Um, and if, uh, if you don't have one in your state, um, you can definitely find one in another state that'll help you out. I know I've helped people all over. You can so. borrow one of us anytime. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for coming on the program today. Really appreciate it. Um, and hopefully someday soon we'll have some, a little bit more answers about fecal water syndrome. So that has been our Tack Box Talk, Four Stories with a Purpose. Thanks.